Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Wow, that's what we want, isn't it? We want God to meet with us here, do something in us to change us to be more like his son Jesus. I don't know anything higher, greater to aspire to than to be like Jesus. I don't know anything. And uh, that's the goal of life is to be like him. Well, we are embarking today on what I'm going to call a mini series on evangelism that I'm calling evangelism 101. And I know that when the pastor gets up and preaches on two things, people all the time sort of cringe. One is money. Whenever the pastor talks about money, people sort of cringe. Oh, here we go. We're going to talk about giving money. Well, it's a new year. I hadn't talked about it yet, but it may be coming. <laughs> Anything can happen in this year, right? The second thing is evangelism, because here's the, here's the reality of it, I think. And I think I got a pretty good finger on it because I've been doing this a long time. The other reality of it is this. The reason why evangelism sort of freaks us out is because all of us in this room, we know, we know we ought to be doing it. See, I don't need to stand up here and say, you should be telling your faith. I shouldn't have to tell you that because you already know that. That's a, the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we all know that. I think we, especially in a Baptist church, we are sort of fixated on the great commission, right? Matthew's gospel, or whether it be in Acts 1-8, we're fixated on the gospel, telling the truth. I shouldn't have to be up here telling you you ought to be telling, the tr- you're telling people the gospel. I mean, you know this. This is a reality. So there's your worry out of the way. I'm not up here to to guilt you, to preach at you, to say you ought to be doing, okay? I don't want to do that because I I don't want to push you into some kind of legalistic mode where you say, well, I just got to go out there and share my faith because the pastor said I had to. I don't want to do that this morning. What I want to do is sort of encourage you through this little mini-series, and I'm going to do that in a couple of ways. First of all, what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach truth at you because the truth is what really does change us. It's the truth that we need, and so I'm going to share some truth with you, and that's Obviously, what I do every week is share truth with you. But the second thing I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to do, oh, I hope it works. I'm going to try to do something more practical in the next two weeks, not today, but the next two weeks. We're going to do something a little bit more practical in the sense that I'm going to treat this like I would on a Wednesday night. That is, on a Wednesday night, we sort of just sort of sit in a more relaxed atmosphere and I do more of a hands-on kind of teaching. And that's what I'm going to do in the next two weeks. So in the next two weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of encourage you today to do one thing. And then next two weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of walk you through a gospel conversation. Because here's the thing I know. The thing I know is that you know you ought to be sharing your faith. But I, I also know this from experience that most of you sitting in this room don't know how to get into or out of a gospel conversation. Now, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to talk down to you. Because I know from experience in my own life how difficult necessarily it could be to jump into a gospel conversation. But I also know 
When you get in that thing, how do you get out? So I'm going to try to help you to learn to get into a gospel conversation with somebody. And then I'm going to show you how you land that puppy, offer them Jesus, and get out of it. Okay? Does that sound like a winner? That's, that's where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks. So just so you know up front, this is what we're going to do. So evangelism, where does evangelism start? Well, let me just tell you that evangelism starts not just with you sharing an evangelistic message because the work of evangelism is not sharing the message. The work of evangelism is getting on your knees and praying for the people you're going to share with. Did you hear me? The work of evangelism is for you to, and just ignore that scripture up there. I deleted that earlier today. I don't know why that's showing back up, but... This, this, that's not where we're going, so just ignore that verse. It just automatically generated when I did that slide. I think there's a, a problem there, Jeremy, with that. But anyway, um, so we think oftentimes, well, if I just, you know, grab a track, if I just learn, you know, you know all these 15 steps and tell somebody about Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you, the fruit of evangelism is on our knees. It's praying for the people that needs salvation. But here's the problem. The problem is just like we know we ought to be evangelizing, we may not have the clue that the greatest work of evangelism is the prayer. And so we don't emphasize that enough. We don't pray specifically for names of people to be saved. So here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna give you the application up front And then we're going to jump into the text, and I'm going to walk through the text and tell you why we're going to do what we're doing, and then we'll wrap it up, okay? So that's, so so I'm going to give you the end at the beginning. So I hope that's okay to do, Well, if you like it or not, I'm going to do it anyway, I'm the pastor. So here's what I want you to do. I want you right now, in your mind's eye, I want you right now to think of one person, one name of one person. I've already done this. I've already done this exercise this morning. I want you to think of one name of one person that you know Pretty good, pretty good that, you know, I mean, you, you could pretty guess that this person doesn't know Jesus. They're lost. They don't know the Lord. I want you to think of that one name right now. And then here's what I want you to do with that one name. I want you to begin silently to pray for that person. And I'm going to give you some resources at the end of the sermon how to do that better. But begin to think about that one name because here's what I want you to do this year. I want this one person that you're praying for, that's on your heart right now, to be your target for this year. I'm not asking you to go out there and evangelize 15 people today. I'm asking you to think of one person. And listen, if you're like me, it's a person that lives in my house. It's a person that's close to me. It's a person that's dear in my heart. Is Is there anybody better to pray for than those of your own kin? Or those you work beside? So I want you to think of that one person, I want you to begin to think about that because the greatest work you're going to do this year in evangelism is to pray for that person. Do you know some of the greatest men in the Bible were just prayer warriors and God did amazing things around them? Some of the greatest men that ever walked this planet in modern day era or just centuries before us were exercised, God used mightily. You know why? Because they exercised the discipline of prayer. And so I want you to think about that because I think that if we will pray, we will see results. I think if we pray, we will see people get saved. 
So that's the application. Then at the end of the sermon, I'm going to, during the invitation, here's what I'm going to do. I told you to give the front and then I'll preach, or the end and then I'll preach. I have these little cards down here that what I want you to do, don't worry, I'm not going to walk around, all right? I'm not going to hand them out. I'm going to leave it up to you. I got these little cards up here. They're three by five cards cut in half. I'm going to put some on this side. And here's what I want you to do. At the end of the sermon, I want you to come get one of these. And I want you to write the name of the person that you're praying for on here. First name and last initial only. Do not put their last name on here. We want privacy. And then I want you to take this card and out in the foyer, you probably notice that there's two bulletin boards that are metal looking. They're hanging there. And these things will slip in one of the little slits. They'll slip in there. And you want to slip in there with the name facing out. All right? That's going to be our prayer emphasis this year. We're going to pray over that board. And we're going to pray God does something. Because I believe he will. I don't know if you believe that or not. But I believe he will, right? I mean, do you believe that God can do that? Because God answers prayer. And is he going to answer a prayer for the lost? I think so. I think so. So this is our emphasis, okay? So you'll, these cards will be here. You take that name you're thinking about. You'll write it on here. First name, last initial. Put it in that board. And that's going to be our prayer emphasis. And I'll explain more next week what we're going to do and how that's going to work. Because there's only two boards out there now. There's going to be two more added out there. And I'm going to talk about how that fits in with our vision and what we're doing next week. So uh, we'll do that next week. So take your Bible. Begin to find the book of Acts, chapter 28, or excuse me, chapter 26, verse 18. And I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about why we need to be praying for the lost. It is the work, listen, don't miss this point. It is the work of evangelism to pray. So don't miss that point because that's the crux of the message today. When we think about evangelism 101, that's the crux of the matter. So here's the Apostle Paul. He is standing before King Agrippa, and he is giving King Agrippa a detailed explanation of why he does what he does. He's giving a detailed explanation on why he's been arrested and facing trial. And if Paul would have not appealed to Caesar, King Agrippa would have just let him go free. So Paul sort of shares his story. And and we don't have time to look at it all today, because, but I want you to look, if you go back later and read the whole chapter, you're going to find that what Paul does is what we basically need to do with our testimonies, and that is, what was his life like before he came to Jesus? How did he come to know the Lord? And then what is his life like now? So here is Paul defending what he's doing, defending the fact that he's been called to preach the gospel, specifically to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. So I want you to think about that for a minute because as we look at verse 18 of chapter 26, you're going to say that has nothing to do with prayer, but it has everything to do with prayer. Notice one verse, and I already give you the background, so you can read the rest of it to see if I'm right, but just listen to the one verse. Well, let's back up to verse 17. He says, I will deliver you from Paul, talk, God talking to Jesus, talking to Paul. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Now, why is God, Jesus, sending Paul? Notice the text, verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith 
in me. So think about for a minute, if we're thinking about the subject of prayer, I know Paul is not giving an offering of prayer there, but Paul is giving us what I think are three primary prayer points by which you and I need to be praying. I mean, first of all, write this down because it's important. He is sharing with us that, that the Father, God, desires people, men, to be saved. And, and I mean that generically. I don't mean men as in just men. I mean people. God just desires for people to come to faith and to know him. Where do you get that in that text? Well, let me tell you, why did God go through the trouble of saving a man named Paul? Why didn't God just say, you know, I'm just going to leave Paul on his own. He's going to be lost. He'll be out there forever lost. Why did God go through the process of saving Paul on the road to Damascus in a miraculous way? Why did God do that? Because God knew that Paul would be the instrument in his hand to win many to Jesus. Amen? And so he sanctified, he redeemed, he called Paul when he was on his journey to kill Christians. And he called him out of a lostness to be found in order that he would be a minister to preach the gospel in the furthest remote parts of the known world of his day. And so think about what God's desire is. God's desire is to raise up, not just Paul, but to raise us, raise us up. His desire is the great commission that we who are disciples go and make disciples of others. That is God's desire. So the Father desires for us to share the gospel because he wants to save people. So the problem is not in God's desire, it's in ours. So if that's God's desire, if God desires to save, then it should be our desire to pray for their saving, amen? Think about that. We want to have the heart that the Father has. We want to be like him. If he loves lost people, then we ought to love lost people. Paul writes to us that it starts in the point of prayer. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, therefore I exhort first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Notice he's talking about various kinds of praying. And he's saying we ought to pray for all men. He says, and for kings, in verse 2, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So it's good for us to be praying for all people. Why? Because he says that brings some peace into our own life. But notice in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of who? God, our Savior. So it's good that I pray, right? It's, it's acceptable. It's what God is expecting. It's what Christians should be doing is praying for people, praying specifically for lost people. That's what we ought to be doing. Why so? Because verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. His desire is that people come to faith. So what does God do? How does God reach that? Well, he sends forth you and I to share. And as we go out into the world and we share, God saves people. Now, how does God do that? We have all kinds of argumentation how God does that. I'm just going to tell you, God's in charge and he does it. Amen. God saves whom God saves. And how God does that, I don't necessarily understand the full mind of God, Tim. I wish I did, but I don't fully understand it. Does he elect some and free will others? Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I may not have it all figured out, but God's got it figured out. And I just rest on what Paul said. Paul said, I do some watering. Apollos did some watering. We, we do some planting, and then it's God who gives the increase. I just let God save everybody he wants to save, but he'll save nobody unless I go out there and share the gospel. Amen? Unless I tell them. 
And before I go out and tell them, what I want to do is, listen, I want to pray for them. I want to ask God to make that a seedbed ready to receive seed. Or if there's a seed been planted, I want to pray that I'm the water pot that can bring some water to pour on top of the seed. Amen? And that it will germinate and it will begin to grow and begin to be hopefully somebody who will in faith repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ. And I believe he'll do it. Amen? I believe he can do it. There's countless stories of people praying for their lost friends and family for years, for years, for years. George Mueller, for 50 years, prayed for five friends. He prayed for five friends to get saved. As he began to pray, it was about five years before the first one came to know Jesus. It was about another 15 years before the other one came to know Jesus. By the time 25, 30 years had passed, all of them except for one came to know Jesus. And he never got to see this friend come to know the Lord. He died. But it wasn't but two years after his death that the last friend that he paid, prayed for for 50 years came to know Jesus. Friends, don't give up. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1, that men, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Amen? Don't lose heart. Don't stop praying. Because God uses the prayers of his people. Amen? So who's your one? Who's your one that you're going to begin to pray for? Listen, God desires for them to be saved. Let's pray. Let's have his heart. And let's pray that they will get saved. And let's not lose heart in the process. You say, well, do I need to put a name on the board in order to do that? No, but you know what I found? That name on that board up there is accountability. It's going to keep me praying. You know why? It's going to remind me to pray. Because every time I come into the sanctuary, whether it be on Sunday morning, whether it be when Tim and I come in through the week to pray or to look, listen, I'm going to be reminded, oh, I've got to be praying, got to be praying. So I'm not making it legalistic. I'm just saying it's a great reminder. But you know what? The other thing is, not only am I praying for that name on that board, but I pray you'll go by and see whose name's on that board. And you may not know him. You may not know Matt. But you may say, you know, I'm going to pray for Matt. I don't know him, but I'm going to pray for him. Or I'm going to pray for Bob, or I'm going to pray for Joey, or I'm going to pray for Tommy, or whoever's name may be on that list. I'm going to pray for them. They need Jesus. Now, notice what Paul says. Paul, giving his defense, says to them that, that God desires, right? That's just overreaching. But notice verse 18, because there's some specifics. Why do we pray? Secondly, write this down. We need to pray because the lost need our prayers. Amen. They need our prayers. Why do they need our prayers? Well, first of all, they're spiritually blind. Notice the text. Notice what Paul says. He's been sent to them, to the Gentile world, to do what? To open their eyes. They're spiritually blind. They cannot see. Listen, lost people, listen to me loud and clear. Lost people, people who do not know Jesus, do not understand or see spiritual things. The Bible is very clear on that. They do not. You need a verse? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel, Paul says, is veiled, that is, means it's hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing. That is lostness. He said, verse 4, For whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, shall shine on them. They cannot see spiritually. They do not see the truth. So, you can talk about Jesus and you can talk about Jesus with them and give them the evangelistic points that you've learned. But listen, 
We bathe that in prayer. Why? Because we need God to open their eyes spiritually to see. God, would you remove the blinders? God, would you open their eyes that they may see spiritually their need and the Savior, Jesus? I need God to do that. I can't do it. I need God to do that. The sad reality is, listen, the sad reality is that there's going to be some success in this and there's going to be some non-success. There's going to be some, some folks that won't come to Christ. But there's a whole lot not going to come if I'm not praying. Amen? And if I'm not sharing. And so I want to go and I want to share because they need their spiritual eyes opened. But not only that, notice what he says in the text. They're spiritually blind. But not only that, notice he says in verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them, here it is, from darkness to light. Darkness and light has always been this play on words in the, in the Bible about sin versus righteousness. Or Talking about being lost or being found. It's, it is, remember Jesus came into the world and the Bible says that a great light is shone in the darkness. So Jesus came and he's shown in this world that was dark with what? This sin. Sin that was running rampant. Sin in the heart of men. Why? Because we're born in sin. And so we're praying, God, would you send the light of Jesus Christ into the hearts of those who are walking in darkness, those who are walking in this sin, those who are separate from you, those who do not know you, those whose eyes have not been spiritually opened. God, they're in darkness. Would you please open their eyes, but also shine the light of the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, into their hearts that they may be saved. Jesus wrote these or said these words in John 3. He says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. What does the light do? It exposes. We want the light of Christ to come and expose their sin, to, to expose the fact that they're walking in that dark and are separated from him. But he says in verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. We want to change. We want something to change in their lives. So we are asking God, would you not only open their spiritual eyes, but God, would you shine the light of Jesus Christ into that heart of my friend, my family, my coworker, my, my fellow student, my peer, whoever it may be. God, would you shine the light of Christ into their heart that they they would be saved. Why? Because they're in darkness and they need to be saved. Friends, that's a great prayer to be praying, but he's not done. He's not done. Notice verse 18, because there's another tragedy in the text. Open their eyes in order that they may turn from darkness to light. Here it is from the power of Satan to God. Can I tell you that this world has a God and the world, and what we mean by the world is not the globe. We mean the system of the world. The system of the world has a God, and his name is Satan. And Satan has done his job to blind the eyes of unbelievers. He has done his job to try to ensnare us and keep us in the shackles of sin. He has done that. The power of Satan is to keep lost people lost. That's what he wants to do. He wants to keep them in drug addiction. And in pornography. He wants to bind them up in alcoholism and abuse. He is that kind of person. He wants Jesus not to be known in the world. And so we're praying, God, would you do something in their life? 
to release them from the power of Satan and put them under the power of God that they'll be saved. Amen? That's what we want to pray. And, and, and there's a verse, 1 John 3, 8. Listen to what John says. He who sins is of the devil. There, there's no two ways around that. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. He says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. What? He says that we might destroy the works of the devil. (laughs) So I want to pray, God, would you destroy the work of the devil in the life of so-and-so that they may be saved? Amen? That they may come from darkness to light, that their spiritual eyes would be open and they may see. God has to do that. We can't. We are obedient to pray. We are obedient to tell. But it's God who gives the increase. And God can move on a heart that seems so desperately wicked and bring them to faith. But he wants to use us in that process. Amen? Another motivator that I didn't really write in my notes, I'm just going to put as a sidebar. I just want to write this down real quick. Another reason why we need to pray is because if you take all that we just talked about and sum it up, The reality is, what is the destiny of a lost man? We don't like to talk about hell much in church today. We don't want to scare anybody into salvation. I don't definitely want to do that this morning. But can I just tell you, if I'm a Christian, Brother Ed, and I believe that hell is real, and I do, that alone should be a great motivator to pray for my lost friends and family that they come to Christ. That's a sidebar note, okay? Thirdly, write this down because it's in the text. We need to pray, not just because they're in this lostness, but thirdly, we need to pray because there's the blessings of salvation awaiting them. Don't you want to see people come to faith and find what you found? It's the greatest news ever. Amen. I mean, why would we not want to share the best news ever with people who need to hear it? I mean, think about it. I'm not offering, listen, I'm not peddling Jesus this morning. There's some people who want to peddle Jesus as a, as a fixer-all. You know, you, you, you just come and trust Jesus and your life's going to be a bed of roses. Let me tell you something. <laughs> when I got saved at 17, that's when the battle ensued. Amen? There is this journey. There is this walk with Christ by which now you'll have Satan who used to be for you against you. And so you'll have this battle. But let me tell you something. Greater is he that is in me than he, Satan, that's in the world. So when you begin to think about it, there is this blessing that awaits them. Notice what God said is the outcome. Notice, go back to verse 18. He says, turn them from, what, blindness that they may see, darkness to light, power of Satan to God, that they may receive, first of all, forgiveness. There is forgiveness of sin found in Jesus Christ and he alone. There's not enough money you can give to a church to absolve sin. You hear me? You cannot do that. There is not enough good that I can do that God's going to say, well, Mike, you're so good, I'm going to wipe out your other sin. (laughs) It's impossible. I need the forgiveness of a judge who is God the Father. But the good news is, through Jesus Christ, The judge will put the gavel down and say, you're clear. Not because of you, but because of the sacrifice of my son 
who died in your place, bore your sin on the cross. His blood washed away your sin. He was buried, but he rose again on the third day. And by faith, he forgives me and makes me guiltless. The sin is gone. Listen, I don't know about you, but that was a weight lifted. Isn't it, isn't it nice to know that right now you can go to God and you can pray? That you have access to the Father? Lost people don't have access. They don't have access. But not only does it stop there, notice the text. That they may receive forgiveness of sins, and here it is, in an inheritance among those, listen, who are sanctified. We'll come back to sanctified in a minute, but I want you to think about an inheritance. What are we going to inherit? <laughs> listen, let me tell you something. I don't know a whole lot about heaven. I'm just going to be honest with you. We did a study on it last year. I still don't know. Amen? I, I just know that it's, as one guy said in class, it's better than here. Amen? I, I, don't, I just know it's better than here. I, I know there's streets of gold. I, I know the gates are made of pearls. I know there's going to be mansions of rooms, whatever you believe. I believe all those things, okay? But, but I'm here to tell you right now, that's not the inheritance we're talking about. The inheritance we're talking about is not heaven. The inheritance is Jesus Christ himself. Because salvation, listen, salvation is about a relationship with a person. Amen? It's not about, I believe something, something going to heaven. No, I enter in this relationship with a person. And guess what happens? The reason why I have an inheritance is because everything Jesus owns, the Bible says I'm a co-heir. I'm a joint heir. Amen? We, we taught Wednesday night. This is a beautiful promise. Wednesday night we talked about we're adopted into the family. We are the children of God. Jesus Christ is our adopted brother. Now, I don't by chance mean to lower that at all because I don't want to lower Jesus Christ. He's high and lifted up. But understand the inheritance that he receives, we receive. Amen? Because we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a blessing awaiting those who we're praying for. What a great motivator to pray. I want my mother, my dad, my brothers, my family to know, my coworker to know the freedom of forgiveness and the blessing of having an inheritance. But listen, Paul says for those who are being sanctified, that is to be set apart. Listen, to be used of God, amen, for God to put his hand on you. And you know that God's got his hand on you and he has set you apart. He has pulled you out of this sin sick world and he set you up in relationship with himself. That's a blessing to know he's got his hand on me. That I'm his. Listen, people talk about it all the time, you know, holding on to Jesus. Let me tell you something. I'm just praying he holds on to me. Amen. And when Jesus said in the promise in the gospel of John, that those of us who are in his hand, there's no one who can snatch us out. I'm eternally set. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. So I want to know what it's like to see people come to forgiveness, to see them enjoy the inheritance, to see them enjoy sanctification. But notice he says one last thing. There's a, there's a road to be traveled in his faith. He said that they may come through faith. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting. Trusting in what? It is coming to that place by which that individual, we're praying that that individual will come to the understanding that there is nothing that they can do but trust in what Jesus has already done 
to be saved. We're praying that, God, will you strip away everything? God, will you strip away their trust in their money? Will you strip away their trust in good works? Will you strip away the righteousness that they're walking in of their own self? That's what Paul prayed for the Romans, right? In Romans 10, he talked about his desire, his fervent prayer. Is for the, the, his brethren, the, 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 the Israelites. Why? Because he said they have a, a righteousness based on the law. God, will you strip all that away that they may have faith in Jesus Christ and he alone, that they may be saved, that they may find that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And nothing else is. Again, how does God do that? I, I don't know that I got it all figured out. I'm just here to tell you. I know that when I'm faithful to pray, and I'm faithful to share the gospel, God saves. When I don't share my faith and when I'm not praying, I don't see through my own work, my own, and I don't mean work, you understand what I mean, not work in the sense that I work, God has to save. No, what I mean is in my life of obedience, as I'm serving Christ, as I'm walking in fear and trembling, working out my own salvation, being obedient to the truth of the great commission and sharing the gospel, when I'm not obedient to that, I don't see fruit around me. I don't see people getting saved. Why? Why? Because I'm not doing it. Amen? I'm not doing it. Doesn't mean people don't get saved because God's certainly, if he's relying just on one man, if he's just relying on me, he knows it ain't going to happen. That's why it's on him, not me. Amen? But he wants to use me. I want the blessing of people getting saved around me. Amen? Well, let me just give you an acrostic we'll be done. How, how do you pray? Let me just steal something from the North American Mission Board. I'm not stealing it. They said I could use it. The North American Mission Board, write down the word heart and think about this. First of all, let's pray for a receptive heart. We want to pray that they have a receptive heart. This is how you specifically pray. You can write this acrostic down, pray for somebody every day. Say, Father, I just pray that Matt have a receptive heart. Pray for their spiritual eyes to be open and their ears to hear. We want to pray that God does something. Letter A, pray for God's attitude towards sin. That is that they'll see sin for what sin is and they'll forsake sin. The R, pray for the person to be released to believe. God, would you, remember we talked about Satan and holding people in bondage. God, would you free them? And then lastly, the T, pray for a transformed life. Listen, too, too long in Baptist life, we have settled for easy believism. We just, you know, let's have a, a million more in 54 kind of mentality. Listen, that's not what we want. We don't want, we don't want people just to walk an aisle and make, make some kind of prayer up. We don't want that. What we want is really transformation. Amen. We want disciples who truly make disciples. I mean, we want to see people radically transformed by the power of God to be a disciple of Christ who are living that out. Are they perfect? No, none of us are perfect, but they're living out. It's not that they walk an aisle this year and we don't ever see them again. Amen? That's not what we're praying. That's not what we want to see. We want to see God do some true transformation at Level Plains. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.